Hello and welcome to another episode of KC Caffeine. My name is Jason um, and I have Todd here again. Hi Todd. Hi Jason. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Blue is on vacation. Have fun. Um, hopefully she should be back for the next episode. But in the meantime, we have a newbie in the chair. Hello, hello. This Ooh. is Gabe. Hello, I'm Gabe. Are we hello. supposed to be nice to him? Um, I would appreciate it if okay. you were nice okay. to him, at least this first time. <laughs> save your hate for the comments. Yeah, there you go. On the, on the air is... I mean, we can... Oh, let me get the app up. Yep. No, the app for... <laughs> are you live hate commenting me that's as right, I'm talking that's right, to you? That's right. <laughs> we are currently... Oh, that's going to be loud. That's fine. Uh, we are currently hate, hate tweeting this I'm episode. In. I mean, it just says what it is. I'm ready for so, it. So... Uh, one of the reasons why I asked uh, Gabe to come in is because we recently were all out together. Um, we're actually here. and had a, a, We had been out for Paul's birthday. We had been out for Paul's birthday. Um, and came back and had a discussion. And Todd, you said something really interesting. Um, by the way, the title for this episode is going to be Dear White People. <laughs> <laughs> I boycott. But uh, you, you said you weren't going to say it. You didn't say you weren't going to title podcast episodes that's right. with it. That's, that's right. exactly right. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to get into that again. Um, I thought it wasn't. I thought it was a. Hey, I was the whole time. I was like, I should be recording. <laughs> I should be recording. This is really good. I should be recording. Um, not trying to you know recreate that discussion, but um, so start. Let's start with you, kind of. What is your thesis on that? Because you had a, a serious issue with that as a... Well, I just, I just think that if, if the idea is to change the hearts and minds of the people whose hearts and minds can be changed when it comes to issues of social equality and things like that, um, we need to be careful with our messaging. And, and look, if, you're, if your whole point is just to uh, piss someone off and make them feel uncomfortable, uh, you know, and... and, and you know, because there's something to the idea that, that, hey, I live with this uncomfortable feeling all my life. You're just now experiencing it for the first time. Welcome to my world. If that's your whole goal, then that's fine. But I think ultimately to, to, to have real progress, eventually you have to get past agitation. And so, um, you know, dear white people, even to me, and I, I would like to think that I am somewhat enlightened on social issues. I, I at least, um, I, you know, I, I'm never going to understand what it's like to be a fully understand what it's like to be a black man or, or a gay man or a woman or, you know, or blue who's all three. Um, well, I guess not man. Part, well, she's but, not a man, but, but you get yeah. the point. I, like I'm never, I'm never going to understand what it's like to be all of those things. Um, but I at least am willing to try to put myself in those people's shoes and understand it from their point of view. Um, but there are a lot of people who aren't, um, who don't feel the same way that I do. And a lot of times, if you, even if you have an important message, but you started off with dear white people, 80% of white people are just going to check out right there. Like even for me, like when I read it, I'm just like, mm, no, no, I'm sorry. No. Like, cause when you say, see, like what, when you say dear white people, uh, or when I read something that says dear white people, um, what the first thing that pops into my mind is you have now just lumped me in with the dude from Charlottesville who's running people down. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean that, that I'm just like, I'm, my, I guess my point is if you're trying to reach the average 
what now I can get over it and I can still listen to the message after that. But it's still my initial visceral response to it is usually to drop an F bomb or two in my head and you know, and and to want it and to just tune out. It's usually anger. Unfortunately, a lot of people can't ever get past that anger. So if if what you're trying to convey is a message that has some substance to it and you actually want people to listen to it, I just don't think that's an effective way to do it. Um, okay, now let me start off by saying that the conver- I'm having this conversation with two people I who w- are white. Thank you. I wanted to jump in and say, um, as uh, I'm also a white person, just to kind of clarify in the sound world that, um, yeah. Yeah. So... But, um, Should we take a picture and put it on the... We don't need to do that. I'll probably go Facebook, go live in a minute just once we get the, the ball rolling. But um, it's... I understand what you're saying. And I also understand, you know, constructive versus, you know, trying to, to agitate or to, to kick those feelings up. Um, but I also feel like we, those of us who would use terms like dear white people continuously are lumped in with a group and is it right to is it with is what's good for the goose good for the gander in the situation maybe maybe not but it's you are not you but this is a new thing for white people to deal with and so it's almost like you gotta take your lumps too boo you know and and we've learned to get over it we've learned to go Okay, that is what it is. Yeah, it sucks, but you know we're not missing the message because we don't. We're not. Yeah, we're not missing the intent of the message because we don't like how it's delivered. And for example, um, when someone says something about police brutality and someone's like, "Well, what about black on black crime?" That's not what we're talking about right now. And yes, we understand this is an issue, and on space we understand that is a thing but it also goes back into crime happens where you live and blah 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 it's another discussion for another day but we don't miss what it is that you're trying to say because we don't like what it is that you're we don't like how you said it and i feel like if i say something like um for example you know dear white people systemic racism is real um and ended at that you have missed this the the important part of the message because you didn't like how how I phrased it to begin with. Well, but that's my point. If if the idea is actually to change hearts and minds, then why do something that's intentionally going to cause half your audience to miss it? Why not just say, you know, dear white people? The, the other thing is we've got to be careful of hypocrisy. I mean, we've, we've seen it with the, the Harvey Weinstein situation, stuff right. like that. But we can't say, you know what, like... Like, I hate it when you pretend like all black people look the same or all gay men like rainbows or whatever. But then you turn around, like you, you say, don't, we don't identify us as a group. We're individuals. Respect our individual worth. But then you turn around and say, and say but all you white folk, as if, as if they're the same way. I, I just think there's, there's a, a, an intellectual danger there um, where, again, I, I don't think it's an intentional hypocrisy, but it is, it is a hypocrisy that exists. I would disagree. And so somewhere in here, I think when the original conversation was going on, my react, my personal reaction has been and was kind of like, I, I kind of just shrugged. I don't share that emotional response to the phrase, dear white people. Um, and I know something that was talked about before was um, 
uh, and that I think you brought up earlier was what is the value of saying it? Why are people saying it? Um, and it sounds like the conversation kind of started off as a form of agitation. Yeah. Uh, so somewhere in that conversation, I would almost suggest that just because somebody has, or just because white people specifically um, may or may not have that emotional response that this agitates me and it really agitates me so much that I can't even listen. And this is such an injustice that stop the conversation and focus on this. One idea has been um, that the notion of dear white people is not necessarily to agitate and there may or may not be value in agitation. So that's not even to discredit that so much as um, this particular phrasing. Can we think of this particular phrasing of dear white people as a way to reach large white audiences where other forms of communication have failed? So is this a, uh, an escalated form of communication where maybe previous um, previous methods of communication, previous uh, prefixes to a message haven't gotten the attention or really haven't um, gotten through to those people that you're describing um, that could have their hearts and minds changed, that could care, um, that are white people that are apathetic, and how can we reach them? Yeah. Well, and I think that it's, and, and I was going to say it, uh, I was going to say it earlier, I'm glad that you brought that up uh, in that way, because I feel like a lot of times we, as you know, minorities, people of color, have been saying these same things, and white people, and I, I throw the quote sign up, white, haven't been listening. And so if we say, now we're now instead of talking with you in the room, we're talking to you. And I think that is what the difference is. You know, before we were like, hey, you know, race, you know, these these things are real in, you know, America, these things are real in society. And now we're saying, hey, pay attention, you know, and yes, it come it may come off as offensive or it may turn off that, you know, open-minded sensor in your brain but we're talking you know now we're saying it to you directly well and and for me i mean i remember the one time i it was actually you had posted something and uh um and as i want to do yeah well and, and that's fine but i remember when i read it I, I i was i was like i was like that's not me and this is this is bs and i think i posted something after like why it got to be all white people or something like that and but I, but like, like I said, when I first read it, my first response was just, was just anger. I mean, and that, and that's, it's not like, it's not like I read it and I wanted to be angry about the message, but like when I, as soon as I read it, I was just, I was just like, why? I was like, you know, I've been out here. I've, I've been having these conversations. I've been advocating for people when I, when I hear my friends say something, I mean, from the time I was a kid, uh, you know, I've, I've like, I've gotten to, uh, I've refined my ability um, to engage in this dialogue over time, but you know, when I was a teenager, I used to just scream at family members when I'd hear, you know, them. I remember we were in the car one time and my sister-in-law and father were talking about, this is back in probably 2003, they were talking about, um, you know, how after, you know, there was an Afghan refugee crisis was going on at the time and she started lamenting all the, the Afghani people she was seeing in her neighborhood and how she hadn't noticed them before. And I, I just got irate that like, she thought she could just look at people and I didn't, you know, I, and I, I called them on it. I've called them on it for, for years. And, and it, it upset me because, you know, I, I was, I was like, well, you know, if, if you know, if I'm going to be out here trying to, you know, to make a difference and, you know, and having conversations from the inside that I think need to be had and, and nobody's, you know, and I'm still just white people like nobody, you know, then, 
What am I doing? But I, but I, the difference there was like you called me because we have an actual relationship and right. and we had a conversation about it and and now like even though sometimes I might kind of look cockeyed at it when I see it, I don't I don't have that same visceral reaction that I used to. But I, there's a lot of people who I don't think who I, there's a lot of people I think probably feel the same way I do when they hear that phrase, but they don't have a Jason they can call and have a conversation with about it and get over themselves. And so they just stay stuck in that, no, ain't going to listen. So, because, and because they don't have to. But I think it's less than, I think it, it has, there are two things I want to say. One, I think that it has less to do with what we're saying and how it's being said and more to do with how what we're saying makes you feel. And I also think that it has less to do when we say, dear white people. It has less to do with white people and more to do with whiteness. And, I don't know. And I think there's a difference. Uh, I think there's a, there's a difference between you, Todd, who is a white man, and what whiteness is and what it represents in society. And when we say, dear white people, what we're saying, and I can only speak for me. I can only think, speak, say that we're saying dear whiteness with a capital W and not like dear Todd, who's a white dude, you know what I'm saying? Or dear, dear Gabe, who's a white dude. Yeah, well, I get Dear that. people who benefit from white privilege and can have white apathy and not experience the fallout of, of caring about other people's plights. Yeah, well, and I just think, though, I guess my, my biggest, my bigger point when we were having the conversation, though, is that I tend to look at these things very analytically. Um and so I tend to look at it as when we're having discussions on social media or stuff like that, I tend to look at it as marketing. Um, and how can we most effectively market ourselves to, um, you know, to persuade people to see the world the way that we see the world and, and to have more tolerance and to have more empathy and stuff like that. So for me, I look at it from a marketing perspective. And it, if, if you're... If your commercial or your message misses the mark for half the people, then it's not an effective ad. Um, and so I, I just I, that from that perspective, you know, like I said, it, it depending on what you're trying to achieve with it, um, you know. But I just I just I want people to be careful with with the messaging and, and and things like that to make sure that like you know we're not missing the mark. And we also talked about the fact though that. Um, these type of movements never happen. It's not like there's just one road that leads there, you know? I mean, there's, there's 35 different, you know, different branches of it, but, you know, I'm trying to be on like the, the interstate of it, you know? And I just, if you want to keep this on the back road, okay, like I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to complain about it, but if you try to make it mainstream, then you, you risk like, you know, the other drivers on the highway, um, just pulling off and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. If there is um, any sort of movement or attempt to communicate with with white apathetic people, with that sort of white apathy, um, I would be concerned at falling into any sort of pattern that says I have to communicate in such a way that they will never, ever be disturbed. And I think that, and I know you didn't say that overtly, but I think that's a risk that falls in here when we start talking about how can I know my audience and somehow pander a message to them. What the way that I, the insidious, one of the insidious ways that I think white apathy works is that there's kind of an instinctual response to 
not have to engage and not participate in a message. And I think that's where we see people getting offended about kneeling um, in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, it absolutely like, is, yeah. And, and the, I think there's a sort of instinctual reframing of a conversation um, that that's gonna that I think is a phenomenon. I would suggest that is a phenomenon that goes on with white apathy. That's just how it works. Nobody has to sit down and decide to do that. Nobody has to be, I mean... I was going to say nobody has to be trained to do that, but really, white people are trained to do that, and people are trained to do well, that in I, some capacity. And so, I was going to say, I think it's really more of a, of a people issue. I think, but pe- people get defensive, and 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 you know, specifically where I'm t- where um I or we are talking about white apathy, I would be concerned about falling into any sort of expectation that if we are going to have a message, and specifically if black people or any people of color are going to have a message for white people, for white people, and I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> There should not be an expectation to never bump with them. Because if white people are so sensitive, this leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I'm cho- this is me choosing my words. If white people are so sensitive that we require to never be bumped, we have a huge problem. At which, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, we do have a huge problem. Th- that is unreasonable to expect anyone to have to pander to that. And so I think... Um, I would ask, can we acknowledge that there's going to be some bumping, there's going to be some agitation, and there's going to be some disruption, and the the presence of any of that shouldn't halt the conversation. It most certainly should not halt the conversation. Um, before I segue into another point. Oh, what I was going to kind of piggyback off of what you said, and you know, it's uh, this this idea of kind of pandering the message, and, and I feel like so long we have try to pander a message to and, and and this idea of and you said it perfectly people in general do not like to be uncomfortable mm. um you know we tend to as humans run from things run from things that give us pain and two things that give us pleasure so you know it's it's understandable shut up <laughs> shut up <laughs> so it's it's understandable that there is that you know, resistance and, and seeing something like dear white people causes that kind of visceral reaction because it com- it causes, and this is just from, from what I see, it causes people to have to look inward and say, is that me? Is he talking to me? And then make that examination. And a lot of us, you know, hate to do that. You know, we don't like to look inward and see maybe that does describe me and when I've been, you know, touting myself as the, you know, I am this social justice warrior and I will tell you from you know for for as an example, you know, I used to get so annoyed when like I grew up with not grew up, but you know, in my formative gay years, you know, the word tranny wasn't offensive. You know, and so it wasn't something it was something that you could just, we just you know, would say, you know, a lot of my friends were transgendered. And they would use the term, and so I would kind of use it with them. And mm-hmm. someone called me out on it one time, mm-hmm. and I was like, "You're stupid. You know that's dumb." Mm-hmm. And you know the gay community is gonna eat themselves from the inside out because they're always fighting with each other and blah 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 blah. And then I had to, you know, but I realized it's because them telling me that I'm transphobic or have some sort of phobia made me look inward and made me uncomfortable. And I think that kind of what dear white people does is especially you know as it 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 brings that visceral i have to look inward to see if maybe what's happening after this is talking about me i'm sorry i don't think you can get a more safe or soft or fuzzy or harmless prefix to an important message than dear white people like that is 
it's like, hey, I have a message for you. Whoa, like a, like a mess. I mean, I, I hate to snowflake somebody, but like, I would go so far as to snowflake that emotional response. Well, but, okay, but here's, here's and the I thing. And I hate to say that because I know you're sitting right here, so I don't... No, but, here, but here's <laughs> the thing, and I've talked about this a million times, like, like, people are not necessarily in control of their emotional responses, okay? Like, like when, Amen. when, I mean, like, you can control what you do with it, but like, if you see a, a parent, like, scream at and then slap a child across the face when you're trying to enjoy a meal out, like... You're going to have a response and, and hopefully it's going to be of like anger, you know, you know, like, you know, or something like that. It depends on what that child did. Cause if that well, but I'm saying, like, like, yeah. but still, if, 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 no, but if you see kidding. it, you're don't. still, you're still going to have a response that, that you don't have complete control over. Right. Now, now some people can, can, um, you know, get past that initial feeling. Like we've got a, there, there's a coworker of mine, wonderful, wonderful at his job, okay? But everybody knows the first 30 minutes to an hour after something happens, like he's throwing his stapler on his desk, he is cursing, he is, he just loses his freaking mind. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can, there's no reasoning with the man during that time. There's just nothing you can do. His bedside manner is terrible. Now we all know, Give him an hour and it'll be okay. Like once he's like gotten back in control of himself, like he's actually really good at what he does. But everybody knows there's this 30 minutes where you just have to put your hands up and, and expect him to freaking hulk out because he's not in control because he can't control his emotions. He, he's, you know, and that's, but when we're having a sensitive conversation like this, if you're actually trying to change hearts and minds, if my initial reaction to something is anger, um, and I shut down and just don't even bother to read the rest of the message because I just, I see it and I say, nope, I'm scrolling on through. Because that's what we do on social media. We roll on through, we stop when we see something. And dear white people might catch my attention, but if it makes me angry and I just scroll on through to see somebody's kids or to see what people are doing this weekend, then you've missed an opportunity to engage with someone. And that's, that's there. like I said, there's value to agitating someone. There's value to making someone introspective. But... There needs to be more to the message and the way that we deliver these messages than that. But I think that the the difference is, and I'm going to let you jump in, but I think that the difference is, you know, you said there's more to the message. And understand this. I want to make sure that we're very clear. I'm not a, no one, I'm not, a, this isn't, I'm not attacking you. Yeah. I'm not saying the time is terrible. I'll try so. not to get angry. Please don't get angry. There's no staplers around here. It's pretty hot in here, so I might melt. But, Snowflake that I am. But two th- <laughs> I love you, Todd. This is a hug. But two, thi- two things. Um, one, it comes to the co-worker of yours. And being in control of emotions. Um, do you think that it is a... Because you said, you know, he freaks out and you, you have all learned now to leave him alone for that hour and yeah. let him kind of get it out and then he's fine but there's there's something dangerous in that this idea that you know you have to kind of walk on eggshells around someone until you know that they have calmed down or that they're okay and then you know you've learned how to you know go, approach him in a way 
that won't cause him to freak out because he's not in control. He's the immature one in the oh, room. Oh, no. I or provoke him point, all the time. Well, at I mean, some point, there's a conversation <laughs> that goes on and says, hey, guy, like, we're here because we have work to do. Or as the analogy goes, we're here because we have a conversation as people who care about race relations and care about, like, things like black people dying, for example. But hopefully there's a conversation with that person in the workplace at some point that goes, hey, I notice you really react really strongly after things happen. How can we have a conversation such that that doesn't happen because we're here for for whatever this shared purpose is? So, I mean, at at some point, hopefully it's not just we all just continually, like, cow to this person's threats. And how can we address any sort of underlying problem? Some of us just ignore it. The, the, The problem that we have is most of us are subordinate. And so, um, you know. So you, you kind of have to take it. You have to wear it, yeah. You well, just and, have to wear it. And, and think of it like this. Because the alternative is to, to go over his head or, you know. Which could cause problems. Which, that yeah, might, that which, might be where our analogy ends with. <laughs> yeah, which, which, cause, yeah which, is, which is its own, you know, its own set of issues. So some of us just ignore it. Some of us, like, aren't afraid to provoke him. Um, I'm pointing at Todd. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I... <laughs> But it, it's definitely a situation where I, I, where I have to be aware that it's happening so that I'm not surprised by the reaction. Right. Because if if I'm not aware of it, and then I'm, then I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, then my guard gets up. My, you know, everything I'm trying to do can get thrown off too. So, right. so maybe that is maybe that is part of the message. It's like like just understand that. When, when you're, like I said, when you're marketing this idea to, to white people, just understand that there's going to be some resistance and, and understand where that's coming from and understand why it's there. But there's always been, you know, historically, there's always been okay. white resistance. Okay, you know well, I mean? and that's, then, <laughs> then I, I guess, I guess what I would say is like, is like, um, you know, you got to keep trying to find a way to, to deliver the message the most effective way possible then. So, I mean, it. I guess I guess my question would be, if poking white people and trying to you know bother him has has not worked for you historically, it's worked for me before we came. Well, but I'm saying, but <laughs> but if it historically has not worked, then what makes you think it's going to work this time? I I think that what we've gotten now is that it's a lot less about. I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. So while I'm thinking, you were going to say something. I'm going to go back to a similar point and hopefully loop around to another one, which is I think assuming that it's assuming that the terminology of dear white people is provocative. Um, I would suggest that's an assumption. I don't necessarily think that that's any more provocative than any other message from black people or really any uh, people of color is provocative. So people, if somebody's going to get upset over the terminology of black lives matter because they do. Um, it's not because what is being said is offensive in those cases. It's because I would suggest their instinct to protect their comfort, to protect their privilege, to protect their capacity to not care is kicking in. And they see an easy way to reframe the argument, shut down the argument and restructure it such that it's no longer about something they don't want to have to talk about and just perpetuates that level of comfort. It perpetuates whatever that status quo is. I think somewhere in here, what I don't see is how dear white people is any more provocative than than the terminology of Black Lives Matter, um, people getting offended over that, or anything else, um, or not all men. And and I think you see similar analogous, not the same, but you see similar conversations. Um, 
I don't see how this is worse or somehow more crossing the line of any sort of language than other things that you or I would turn around and say, well, hold on, if you're offended about this, let me just explain it in one or two sentences. Like, like, hold on, let me... Well, no, and I, 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 don't, I don't think it is any more offensive. But part of the problem is, too, like, um, you know, whether it comes to kneeling, whether it comes to Black Lives Matter, things like that, you're right. I mean, they're, people deflect. So I guess the question is, you know... It shouldn't be a conversation about this particular language so much as there's a function of deflection going on, and how can we bring that into the light? There's a function of hiding behind my initial feelings and not taking ownership over my feelings. Yeah, but I... That, but, that should be brought to But mind. so the, then the conversation needs to be, how do we move past that? Like, how do we how, how do we address that so that the message can get home? And and so I, I guess that's the whole point is I just... I wish that as a, as a group we could somehow... And it's never going to happen because we're never going to be able to get everybody who cares about equality in a room to sit down and agree to like... You know, These are the they, points. The, the, this is our this is our platform. This is our strategy moving forward. White people have convened and black people have convened. But yeah, but what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the racial draft and all that, um, shout out Dave Chappelle. Um, uh, but did he just point one up in the air. Yeah. He did just point. One I up did in the because air. like the show is dead, and I feel like I watched the Netflix. I feel like Dave's kind of dead too. He's um, not. He's, he's he's not. But like he didn't. He lacked like the the edginess that. He's also, know. you know, gotten older and yeah. kind of mellowed out some. And and, and I will say that I think that, 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 and this is kind of a tangent, but I think that what Dave was doing when the Dave Chappelle show was out was provoking and poking the white bear. The difference is, is that he was doing it in a way that white people found funny. Yeah. And they didn't find it funny for the same reasons that black people found it funny. You know, it was... It didn't break down that level of comfort. That, right. That sort of calling out ideally would be able to break down and possibly create space for whatever the discussion is to say, to, to have that meaningful sort of discussion. And like, it was like, there were there were things that I looked at and I saw that I laughed for completely different reasons than like the people that I was watching it with laughed at. Because like, I'm laughing like, you know, I know white people like this. You know what I mean? Like, I know people like this and why then that's why this is funny to me whereas they don't some of those people were in the room with me and did not understand why that was funny because they were they didn't see it and i think that's kind of where to loop back into the dear white people thing i think that's kind of where we you know and looking back inward and and having that conversation i think that you know what you you you're right. No one's, we're never going to have this one cohesive message of this is how we get to equality. I think that different things work for different people. Um, there are somebody who maybe who hears the words dear white people, catches what's happened after that, and, and a light bulb goes off. You don't, you don't know. So we have to try everything because what it feels like and pre-dear white people, we would say things and... Like I checked, looked at some of my old, my old things from my Facebook, and I would say things, and there would be no responses. Like nobody would say anything. But the one time or two times that I said, "Dear white people," there's like a hundred comments. You know, most of them people pissed that of for what it is that I said when I said something similar just days before. And so it's like, so you didn't hear it, you still didn't hear it, and now you're mad because you didn't like the way that I said it. And how else am I supposed to say it? I can't just say it, you know, because then you don't listen. Mm -hmm. But if I say, dear white people in front of the same thing that I said before, 
Now you're mad that I put that in there because I'm not. I'm not like that. Somewhere in here, as I've been thinking about this, um, and I think last time I I made the suggestion that there's a sort of tit for tat argument and this sort of false sense of equality. So I don't I don't mean to straw man this, but I feel like part of what some white people are upset about when they hear the phrase a phrase like "dear white people," I think there's an instinct reaction. Um, to say, well, I'm not allowed to say dear black people, which I would agree that's true. Like, I think that <laughs> will be a provocative. And, and this is where we talk about the normalcy of whiteness and, and we were talking about those things. But that sort of tit-for-tat argument to say, well, if you can say dear white people, then you have to let me say dear black people, which I think is inherently problematic. And somewhere in here, I think what the implication is, is you have to stop saying dear white people and you have to, I have to take away your tools to address white people and I have to take away your tools to kind of pierce that comfort of, of apathy of white people. And somewhere in here, then it's, well, if you can't say it, then I can't say it. Well, now, now we're both equal, right? Because now what applies to one applies to the other. So we're equal, so status quo, so false sense of equivalency. So now let's, let's stop talking about it and the end result becomes, I get Silence. to go about my day. Right. Well, and that's... Not that's, caring. Well, but I think, I think part of what feeds into that is that because white people have never, by and large, had to deal with uh, deal with any kind of prejudice. I mean, except from you know maybe minorities who don't like you know who they feel like don't like all white people, but they've never really dealt no with prejudice cer- based on certainly skin color. no systemic prejudice based um, on skin color. Yeah, in yeah, modern yeah. America. Yeah. Well, yeah, or 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 you know, I mean, and here I'm talking or about historical. I'm talking about like like home like heterosexual white folk who just kind of have lived in. Lived in the suburbs most of their life, maybe knew a few black kids at school, but have really kind of lived in a homogenous society and have never been forced to be outside of it. I'm going to stop you right there to let you know. I don't know if you know this, but there's a whole lot of racism in the gay community, too. No, <laughs> so, no, which, which no, that, that, so this that example actually, doesn't is, is not designed to address that sort of intersection, right. intersectional no, no, racism, yeah. intersectional th- prejudice. No, that, which, which, by the way, stunned me, and we could have a conversation about that because I, I didn't realize that it was, it was quite as glaring there. But can but, I just say, short anecdote: when I was like twenty-one or twenty-two, and I was taken to the West Banks for New Year's with a house full of gay people, and it was my first time surrounded by gay people, and I was like, "Oh, cool! This is a sense of community." And I surely was like, you know, I don't feel like I belong here. <laughs> and I was like newly in philosophy classes, and I was newly like, "I'm gonna change the world." Um, and I was like, hey, you all, you know, something we were talking about recently are our beauty standards. And how come, like, blackness isn't in in um, mainstream gay beauty standards? And oh my God, this this house full of white, beautiful gays that are out for their New Year's hoo-ha were so pissed at me for continually bringing this up. Um, <laughs> can I just say, when we're, if we're talking about racism in the gay community, um, that's one way to shut shot that particular population to be <laughs> well but what i was gonna say about white Those were awkward hot tub conversations yeah oh no no i've i have foisted many an awkward conversation on many a people in at a many a party uh, occasionally in hot tubs but i think part of the problem is that there are a lot of there are a lot of white people especially in in the this younger generation um or my generation or younger who, you know, they've heard, maybe they've heard their parents talk about the civil rights movement of the 60s and stuff like that. And they feel like we live in a post-racial world. They don't understand that it still goes on. And they kind of wish people would just stop talking about it all the time. Because, but I think part of the problem too is they don't know how to fix it. So, you know, they, they feel helpless and, and defensive about it and, and don't really understand it. 
And so when you combine all those things, and now, and that's where I think the danger with like dear white people is for people who feel that way, who feel helpless and defensive and really kind of ignorant about it and not necessarily blissfully ignorant. They just, they haven't seen it because they, it's not been part of their life experience. And, and when you lump them all, and they might be people who, if, if you, you know, kind of held their hand and explained to them what the hell it's like to, to, if to, every white person had a, a, a black lifeline and Jason lifeline well, to say, well, but uh, I was offended today, Jason, but look, it, <laughs> and you tell me why. No. And I know, I know that we joke about that, but the fact but of the matter really, is I grew up, I grew up with, I grew up with, with black people in my life. Okay. And then as I got older, there, there were gay people and I was not scared of them. So they became my friends. Okay. And so I've got a pretty, like my, the balloon, the bubble that I live in is, is pretty inclusive. Okay. So like I do like, look, when I was, when I, I was writing a story recently and long story short, there was a picture of a dog dressed up for a bar mitzvah. Okay. Oh yeah. And I, but I didn't. I didn't want to offend anybody with, with the terminology, you know, because all I knew it was, I was like, well, I think the dog's wearing a yarmulke and a prayer scarf. I was like, but surely there's a better name for prayer scarf. So yeah, I did. I, I emailed my, like one of the guys, I, I, a, a man I have, who I know who happens to be Jewish and said, hey, am I using these terms right? Because I wanted to put it in the paper properly. Um, you know, and as it turns out, apparently... They prefer, like modern Jews prefer the term kippah, or at least he and his congregation do, to yarmulke now, which is funny because just today I was watching Sarah Silverman. She's got a new show coming out, and she was talking about Sarah. She, yeah, she's got a new show coming out where she went and sat down with like a family in Louisiana. They're all like Trump voters and um, like a crab fisherman family, and was was talking to this group of people. But, I can only imagine Sarah Silverman doing. Yeah, that. no. So it was, but she said the word yarmulke, and I I was like, well, my friend said kippah is the. <laughs> But I, I just, um, there. I mean, but I, like, yeah, I do. When I have a, when I have a question, when I wanted to know, after the Dallas police shootings, you know, during that summer where, you know, where Flando Castile and Sterling Alton and everybody else had, had been murdered. Alton, sorry, I can't, I always do that. Um, I, I mean, I'm, but I'm not, I, I'm not know, trying to problematize somebody who's had um, a, a prejudiced or oppressed experience and say. Hey, I'm thinking about something and I've got some larger communication going out. Do you have the time and energy to check me if I run this by you? Like, that's one thing. And I think that's totally cool. I think something that, and again, I'm at risk of strawmanning this because I, I didn't hear it here necessarily. Um, I think the big concern of wanting to like go get approval for language um, implies some sort of you are the authoritative body and I'm just helping you in your mission. Well, and, uh, and, and so somewhere in well, here is the ownership of, well, like, it's my responsibility to do good, even if I don't. Well, I guess my, my point, though, what I'm saying, because like I said, if, if your point is to agitate, then use whatever language you want. Like, you know, provoke in whatever way you see fit. I, I'm not trying to tell you what to say or what to do. What I'm trying to say is that, if like, like I said, I, I live in a bubble that, that's fairly inclusive. Like, like there are a lot of different people in my bubble. But if, if there are a lot of white people who only have other white people in their circle of friends, who only have white people in the bubble, and so I, I guess I would suggest that wanting that special marketing term, that some sort of magical language that never offends white people, or wanting that magical marketing language that will suddenly capture all the heart. Like, I don't think there's a single magical catchphrase. There's not going to be a single catch-all um, 
piece of language that just captures all the hearts and minds. And in the similar vein that I don't think there's going to be a single congregation of white people that goes and has a conference with a single congregation of black people and we find out, well, this is the right way to go about it. Like, I, I think that it's um, every individual is their own front. Every interaction that we have is, is its own front. Um, and every piece of language, every um, new preface whether we okay well now this group is calling itself black lives matter well now we have this new way of saying um dear white people like it's no one of those pieces of language is designed to be the end all be all catch of everything it's just we're here right now we tried these other ways that didn't work we're going to try this that works and this is i would suggest totally reasonable to think that it's just this innocuous sort of like hey hey can i address a message to you and i know we've also had a previous conversation about including people in that message that maybe as individuals like if i get in when not if i get included in dear white people when i get included in dear white people because it is directed at all people who are white um there's times when i'm like i I totally get it this is a message for people who benefit from white privilege and and the um um and so on and so forth and i and i can just get that as I'm thinking about the terms that I want to use earlier today, I was like, well, there's this thing, this, this systemic apathy that's called white apathy. That should be a, a phrase, white apathy, if, if it isn't already. Um, it is. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and somewhere in there is the idea that, dear white people, you don't care. Just straight up, and I know that's been a thing that said, dear white people, you don't care. And so if I heard that, Suddenly, I did have that sort of emotional response. It was like, well, wait, I don't care. If, if somebody said that, surely they wouldn't be talking about me. And so I totally get that. That's the sort of insidio- ins- insidious, like, but I care, and I make myself vulnerable when I care, da, da 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 And I have to stop and catch myself, oh, wait, this isn't about me. This is me reframing the conversation um, and what I think my reaction should be, what I would want my reaction to be if this wasn't an entire hypothetical conversation I had in my head, um, <laughs> would be for me to stop and check myself and then... If the time and place is right, check in with that person and say, hey, you said this, can you tell me more about it? And that I I would want my first reaction to be to go to that person and say, I would like to hear more about this. Like, can you, can you say more? Let me put my feelings on hold. Let me put whatever form of my own deflection. Can I pause that in some way and check myself first before I put the burden on somebody else to check themselves? And I think that, that and I'm going to ask this question. Uh, I'm going to frame kind of, you said something about those, you know, those millennials who have, um, you know, they, they've grown up in what they consider a post-racial society. And all they want is for us to just, you know, stop talking about it so much. And, and Rodney King, let's just know, all get along. Let's just all get along. And, and they, don't, they don't see kind of the systemic racism. And, you know, and I, and I think a lot of that is, that, that to me is privilege. Is that, you know, because if you ask, you know, any person of color whether racism exists and if we live in a post-racial world they're going to tell you no because they don't because they have to know it or laugh in your face yeah they're gonna be like girl please you know because they they have to know it they're like what class are you in (laughs) (laughs) well but they i mean look they they see that the laws have changed that you know they've seen affirmative action They've grown up with, you know, millionaire idols, whether whether they're entertainers or, or athletes or whoever they are. So, like I said, if if they if they grow up in a homogenous society and they don't, you know, it was a big issue with the election. You had to. The other thing you have to remember is we're talking about a country 
that elected Donald Trump as president less than a year ago. Okay. Now I don't know how many of you people, or you people, that's right. How many of how many of you guys, <laughs> how many of you guys are are friends with, um, you know, or you know, and speak and communicate with regularly, and, and are very close with um, a great many Trump supporters, um, you know, and, and second know you. <laughs> and Second Amendment, you know, champions and, and people like this. But I can promise you that as a heterosexual white man. Like, I live with that all the time, okay? Like, um, and so what I'm saying is there's there's a group of people, and they're not all obnoxious racist idiots. And they can be reached with a conversation. But there is just, uh, the way to reach them is just, it's just, it's a different group of people that you're trying to communicate with here. And, but it's also, it's a group of people that like it or not, you're going to have to get on your side at some point for real progress to occur because the alternative is we let them languish over there and they keep electing Donald Trump and Vicki Hartzler and Jeff Sessions and people like that and the rest of us just throw up our hands and don't know what the F to do. But I think that it's, you know, that goes, that, that, that ability to be, to live in a homogenous world and not see it. To me, that is, that is privilege and what, Dear white people does in you know for for good or for bad is essentially checks your privilege well but okay but if 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 there's a group of people who don't acknowledge that white privilege exists because the bubble of white privilege they put themselves in doesn't allow it in and then you just keep shouting at them you have white privilege and, and you know then then I, you're never going to reach those people. That's my right, point. You're but, never going to reach those people. But uh, but the, the, but at the same time, you're never going to reach those people who live in that bubble of white privilege who don't want to be out of it. Well, but but what I'm saying is there are people who don't realize that the bubble exists. And if you were able to, sh- and if you were able to somehow pierce that bubble and and to convince them that, you know what, maybe maybe they're right. I mean, I just you know I haven't grown up with with many people of color. I haven't grown up with many minorities. I'd never really considered this, but now that you say it, I kind of see, I I kind of see your point. Maybe I will, you know, instead of telling the racist joke or, you know, or something like that, or complaining that I have to, you know, press one when I call my bank, like maybe I can come to a deeper understanding of this, but there's that group of people that we just completely miss with our messaging right now. I watched, and this is this is gonna sound like a non sequitur, but it's it was gonna make sense. I posted it, um, and to be clear, uh, one thing, and we talked about this, you know, last weekend too. To be clear, some of that falls on me, um, as someone who is in the Venn diagram that crosses both groups, because I am inside both bubbles. I, you know, so I, you know, I, um. You know, I'm the one. I really, I, it has to be someone like me who pierces it from the inside to, you know, open up their eyes. Because in a lot of instances, these people aren't going to listen to, you know, a gay man complaining. I used air quotes, by the way. I know we're not on Facebook Live anymore, but <laughs> complaining about, you know, inequality or, you know, or a black man, you know, taking a knee and disrespecting our military or whatever. They're they're not going to listen to. They're not going to listen to you, like. Right. But Colin Kaepernick's message was never designed for him, for that person, you know. Um, but 
I mean, ideally you'd like it to be, but it's it's never going to. That's always going to, like you talked about, be deflected off off their bubble, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna just be upset that you know their cousin Johnny did five tours in Iraq, and this stupid millionaire is disrespecting him. There's there's also something to be said for so many conversations going on that somebody isn't listening to that. I would assume, I would hope, at some point, that the fact that there are so many conversations going on and so little sense can be made of them, at some point, whether that person is offended or not, or they're just, like, going about their day, there should be a reaction that says, oh, like, what is this, like, what is going on? What is this all about? And I get that somewhere in here talking about the phenomena of appealing to apathy, like, there's a big sense of irony to it. I mean, I would, there's a big sense of irony to us having an entire conversation about um, white people getting offended with the language that black people use and underlying all of it is that sort of white deflection because I mean, poetically, this entire conversation is not a conversation about whatever it is that follows after dear white people. But given that some conversations might need to address that and call it out and give it a name and call out that white deflection, call out that white apathy and give it a name so that that can become possibly a household name. It can become more common to say and it, it loses its shock so that people can become normalized to it so that people can actually let it pass their guard and then stop and be like, oh, what is this? Oh, by the way, now I can stop and, and see it. So I, I don't, I hate to just continue to repeat myself. I think it's a tricky thing and I think it's setting ourselves collectively up and ourselves as white people collectively white people who try to care i'll say that i think it's setting us up up for an unreasonable expectation of success with a single action and i think as much as it is valuable and necessary to be strategic and be mindful of who we're talking to and it's not just a single audience we also shouldn't expect that we can plan out every step into the future and have a single game plan and then be done and we're going to just wrap it up and it's a package deal. Here's the game plan. We're going to say X, Y, and Z. We found the magic language. We found the, the right sequencing of events to happen. We just solved it. Like, there's, I don't think there's going to be that simple sort of solve. No, but, but ultimately what you want to do... Look, there are still people who wish that slavery still existed. You know, most of them live in the South and they're the ones who are running the Confederate flag. But... I think who's, who's the guy? What's his name that um, is leading? <laughs> Donald he, Trump. Who, who keeps getting punched? Oh, um, God, punch guy. Richard Spencer. No, Richard Spencer is the guy from. No, I know who you're talking about. I think it is Richard Spencer who keeps there's, getting there's punched. There's people like that. This dear white people is. I'm gonna. I don't know. I'm not the one saying it. I'm not the one who has that message. I will go so far as to guess that people Richard saying Spencer. Richard Spencer. Those Spencers. Um, <laughs> it's not designed to appeal to the Richard Spencers of the world. Yeah. But it is designed to reach, I'm, I don't want to use her name because I'm thinking of some specific people, but those people that live in a bubble and don't have to care. Those white people that live in a bubble and don't have to care and can just as easily brush it off and they have that sort of instinctualized deflection. Um, I think uh, that, and I don't mean to cut you off, Yeah, yeah. but I think that it's, this idea, like, we as people of color have I think it's right it's up to you we up to you as a heterosexual white man and you know you as you know a gay white man, a white man yeah. to actually have the conversation with the with, with, with the with those not necessarily Richard Spencers but the others you know because the Richard Spencers isn't going to be you know he they, they believe what they believe and I think what we have to what we have to caution ourselves in is not watering down the message so much 
that it becomes indistinguishable from from I don't see color because I think that what happened at was is that we went through you know essentially through the civil rights movement and this idea that we're all one and you shouldn't see color you know and 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 you shouldn't that has kind of whitewashed and allowed systemic racism to prosper because you know it's 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 not as interest not as you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not as you know, provocative as using the N-word, you know? It's not as provocative as, as these things. And, you know, someone could say something extremely offensive and they're, you know, they were able to hide behind, well, I don't see color, you know? I didn't just chase you out of town. Therefore, I can't possibly be racist. Right. Like, okay, and, well, you can change the standard. You can change, yeah. And I think that it's it's what the visceral response from dear, from the idea of dear white people um, part of that is is this idea of from the I don't see color kind of playbook. You know, when you know, I've said before, I want you to see my color. I want you to see me. If you don't see my color, you miss an important part of who I am. Because those are the thing, you know, you know, that's wrapped up in my culture and, and, and who I am and how I see the world, you know, because of the other things. And that doesn't mean I have to stop and, like, treat you... I mean, yes, this is me choosing my words. That doesn't mean I have to stop and interact with you with, like, a playbook. Right. Like, there's no script. That doesn't mean I don't interact with you like I would any person. But it is... Uh, I mean, yes, exactly what you said. That is something that informs your being and informs your reality. So, and somewhere in here, I think, is that trickery that sort of white trickery of like if there's white not trickery. if there's not a simple and i think simple we, is the keyword we prefer simple, white devilry right <laughs> white buffoonery a simple <laughs> script that requires less than five seconds of thought that explains explains it or if there isn't just a script that ultimately the end result is i no longer have to think about it then white people will find a way to deflect it and problematize it I prefer to use the term white malarkey. Thank you very much. Malarkey. Well, no, but I, I, I mean, look, when I was, when I was growing up in the, in the early nineties, like that was, uh, you know, very much, um, you know, we were taught to be colorblind, you know, right. like, you know, and I remember there was one time I was, uh, I was very proud cause I was, you know, I had friends of different ethnicities and I was, and I was like, and I didn't identify them primarily as my Hispanic friend. It was my friend, and then if I was listing his attributes, one, you know, it was like my friend from the baseball team who happens to be Hispanic. And I remember being very proud of myself for that. But then, and this is also, but this is also a difficulty for, for some white people, because for those of us who grew up in that generation, and we were taught that, you know, you're not supposed to see color, you're supposed to, uh, you know, everybody's equal, and you're just supposed to see people as individuals. Um, you know, and so then you, you try to, you know, you try to, okay, so I'm not supposed to see them as, as Hispanic or, or black or whatever. And then now here we are 20, 30 years later and, and they're like, no, recognize my blackness. Well, I think that, the, but that's, but your we life don't, is a lie. Yeah, but what, what, I was, what I'm saying is like, I, that was a pretty easy pivot for me because I figured out pretty quick as much as I wanted to pretend like I wasn't colorblind, like I was an utter failure. <laughs> like there was just no way for me to divorce myself from the fact that he, that was a black man. And, you know, and as much as I wish that I never, that I never thought of him as a black man, the fact of the matter was that like, 
the more I tried to not think about it, the more I was just like, he's black. All I could think now was he's, he's black. black. Yeah, and so it was self-defeating. So I was, I was like, well, this clearly ain't working for me. So I'm just going to have to accept the fact that, you know, he's black, I'm white, he's Hispanic, whatever. You know, it is what it is. Now, that also helped me uh, as, as the gay rights movement picked up steam because I was already... You know, I, I was already in the in the mode where I wasn't like, but you know, because I think the danger is you start to see everybody like you if you right. if you're colorblind, and if you see everybody like you, you assume everybody thinks like you do, and so if you think to yourself, I don't tell racist jokes and I don't let my kids say the n word, and you think that nobody tells racist jokes and nobody lets their children say the n word, then you don't understand. You never and and you've never encountered it. You never see it. You hear the occasional news story. I, I honestly think there are people out there who, when they hear somebody talk about the N word on on Fox News or MSNBC, think that it's like the one instance in the last six months where somebody used the N word right in public, and they don't understand that it's a daily freaking occurrence with people shouting it out car windows or people saying it in restaurants or. You know, or just the other subtle things where like, you know, they take a black family and, and, you know, and there's 20 open tables in a restaurant and they put them in the back corner where they can get loud without bothering anybody and stuff like that. <laughs> but I've, but these are things that still happen. And these right. are things that, that a lot of people don't understand, especially the ones who, who are still, quote, colorblind and don't see things like that. I I saw I watched, I listened to something on that was on NPR. Made, apparently, this was years ago, and I'd never paid it, seen it. But it was about a town. NPR's been around for a long time. I know. Shut up. <laughs> but it was and I it was about a town in Ohio. White, white people have always listened to NPR. Where <laughs> well, you know, we just got, shut up. We're not doing this. <laughs> okay. But okay. it's a town where that when we that in Ohio, where the most of the residents identify as black, but they are. Like I read the headline on that. Yeah, where, where, but they look white. Yeah, and and I saw your response to this. <laughs> there was there was a woman. There were two things that I kind of wanted want to want to bring up, and then we're going to kind of bring this portion to a close because we've got another topic. But there were two things that that one of them was there was a woman. Her mother identifies as black. Her sister identifies as black, and she identifies as white. Um. And, you know, she talks about, both the sisters talk about how they went to the same high school and, you know, they look similar. And so what the the white sister, and I'm putting that in quotes, she distanced herself from her family and essentially disowned them during school so that she could become friends with the other kids in school because they didn't like black people. And although the other sister and her were the same complexion and they look very similar. She identified as black and she was teased even by her white sister. And, you know, years later, they've kind of had a rough, rough and rocky, you know, friendship or relationship due to that. And the sister says, you know, she's always the white sister is like, I'm always going to identify as white because it's easier. And that kind of struck me. You know, to have the two people in the same family and although the mom and the dad and the, you know, the sister all identify as black, even though they look white, you have the one sister who's like, yo, I don't care what none of y'all say. I'm Caucasian in this mug. (laughs) You know, that's because she recognized that and she's like, I don't care if I'm if I'm wrong for this or not that 
I'm, you know, I am white because I look white. You know, everything about me is white. My children look white. So I'm white. And, you know, her mom is like, yeah, no, no, you know, you're black. And her mom is so proud of her blackness that like, she's like, when her kid, when her, you know, when the girl would bring boys home or men home, she'd be like, you know, we're black, right? You know, because she was just, that's just where she was. And then there was another, another guy who he had gotten a DNA test because he just wanted to know whether he was white or black because he'd been told he was black his whole life and, you know, all of his families, you know, they, they all identify as black, but he just didn't know. And he took a DNA test and found out he was white. And he said, this is the happiest day of my life. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm so happy and so, you know, so, so proud to be white. And, you know, it, it, it broke me because he wasn't happy just being. And I think he instinctually knew that being, you know, that being black was a negative. And I think that even if you can, even if you see, you don't see color or you, you know, you, you, you look at, you know, you, you try not to be apathetic or, you know, you understand white privilege is what it is. You know, there is still a part of you that is like, well, at least I ain't black. You know what I'm saying? And that's when we had a conversation about privilege and, you know, knowing white people who grew up poor, they're like, I don't have any privilege, you know? And, and it's like, well, at least they're not, you know, at least they're not black. And I'm proud of my blackness. You know, it took me a long time to get to that point, but I'm, you know, I'm here now. But I remember, you know, growing up in a 90% white neighborhood and being like, I don't look like them, you know, feeling that kind of dislike and distaste for my own skin. Yeah. And so I think, I think that, that, you know, I think that that's part of where to kind of bring it back to their white people. I think that's kind of where that comes from is it's, you know, shining that light to kind of, you feel a way and it, it triggers something when you see the words, dear white people. And that feeling is a feeling that we feel, you know, continuously. Yeah, no, I understand. But, but that's, I've never been consciously proud to be white. Um, but I've also never been ashamed of it. Like it just, right. it was just a condition of, I happened to be born and that was, that was what I was. And I think that's a big part. I don't even know if it's anger that I feel when I hear dear white people, as much as it is after, you know, as it is shame and, and, you know, but it's like, it, there, you know, but there's a, there's a, and I think that's where, and I think the shame turns to anger and that's where I shut it down. Um, or at least, you know, that's, that's the impulse that I have. Right. Um, you know, but it's the same feeling. I, I can, I can no more control the circumstances of my birth and, and how I was born and, and, and my identity than, than you or anybody else can. Um, and, and I think, I think what you're saying hits, um, those groups of people that we're trying to reach, which isn't to say that I'm not a part of the group of people that needs to be reached. It's not like I'm, I'm here, this conversation, I'm, I've done my part and I'm done. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, there's we're going to go home very satisfied. <laughs> but I, I think what you said, yeah. my white work is done. <laughs> 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 what, what you said, I think, describes that phenomenon very well, which is um, a lot of um, white people who don't care about practicing apathy, and I don't have a more succinct way of saying that, but white people who are not bothered about their practice of apathy um, and don't make attempts to curtail it 
that offense, I think, is rooted, um, their offense to, to language like Black Lives Matter and the, to language like Dear White People, I think is rooted in a sense of shame mm-hmm. that they don't know how to be in control over and don't know how to just tuck away. And so whenever the idea of any sort of racial tension or race relations are brought up or racial injustice is brought up, their reaction is, well, what do you want me to do about it? And it's like, I mean, immediately it jumps to, I didn't do it. Like, this isn't me. Why are you talking to me? And so it, it jumps to that sort of emotional place um, very quickly for them. I'm going into there, knowing that that may or may not be beneficial for most people to go. Um, but it would be useful for us as white people who are trying to engage in those conversations with those white people on their own sorts of fringes um, to be mindful that if guilt or shame or helplessness is informing where they're coming from and if their desire for a quick easy fix so they can return to their life is informing where they're coming from and informing their practices those are things that we have to be mindful of when we're trying to engage them in conversation so that we can be mindful of them as an audience be mindful of them as a group with whom we're trying to engage um, and in some way make sure that our language tailors to that If, if we're deliberately saying hey, I see that person is hearing this language of uh, this message that's worth hearing and they're caught up in how it's being delivered and they're already in my circle or or I'm choosing to reach out to them for whatever reason. Being mindful of that is good. I would hope that my reaction if I see that would be that I I want to jump on that and that is uh, part of my role to jump in on that. And I would suggest it's problematic to say, Dear black people, stop saying dear white people. <laughs> but I no, think no. no. Also, but I also yeah. think, and, I and I'm not to... saying to stop. I'm just saying, just, just understand that because I think I think part of the problem is like you talk about your culture, okay? And and there's a, there's a black culture, okay? There's a gay culture. There really isn't a white culture, like. I would disagree, right? Well, no, but okay, but see, but unseasoned but, chicken and no, butter. But, <laughs> <laughs> what was what sort no, of but, dear white people seasoned your food? Yeah. yeah, no, but but you guys like, like, and and look, <laughs> you're so, you, you were so pleased with yourself when you said unseasoned chicken. <laughs> and no, but here's the thing, okay? As a as a black man, you surely don't think that all black people share in the same culture. No, okay, but white people just look at rap music and and a certain style as black culture, they don't subdivide it. Okay. And when you say dear white people, part of the problem is there, there's like my, my culture, my upbringing, what I identify with is vastly different from a great deal of rural America. Like not all white people enjoy honky tonks and, you know, and Kenny Chesney music. Um, in fact, many of us despise it. Um, you know, but I think there's just that, you know, some of us do actually like spicy food. Jason. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think you the got that in there's your no house? such thing as white culture is is kind of that basic extension of white privilege. Just, I think that is what normalcy sounds like. No, but I don't the, have but, culture. I'm just white. Like that. No, I, but there I'm isn't. Pretty, I, I, there isn't. There, just in the same way that there's no, there's no one thing that's all encompassing and like this is what it means to be black. But I think that. But that, But I think, and, and I might. But I think that. The reason that there is no quote unquote white culture is because white culture is just culture. No, you know? I and you know I understand. It's because it's because they're the majority. But but what I'm saying is and, and have ingrained that majority into our historical narrative and into our institutions well, but that's, and into that's I mean that's that's always the case. Like like I mean 
whoever you know whoever wins gets to write the history book. So mm-hmm. so we you know they gloss over things like the the Japanese internment so camps when, during World when War II gay, and stuff like when that. When gays become the majority. Are we going to rewrite our history books to be like gay George Washington came and found it? <laughs> well, no, but I think but, it's it's, it's and I, like, and I, so that, that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily just like the winner to the winner take the spoils. So much as this is our history, it will always be our history, and it's not going away. And there's going to be have to be the facing of that ugliness and acknowledging racial tension and being a part of those conversations does not mean that suddenly all of the black gay trans, I mean, it doesn't mean that all of the minority groups, all of the oppressed groups throughout America's history are suddenly going to rise up and take over. I mean, that's, that's, but that, there are people that fear that. There you are got, people that yeah, fear that. Uh, and, that that's, and they can wear tinfoil hats and that, that's great. But the, and there, there are also people who, but there's a place of acknowledging our history that I think is necessary that the, and the reason I'm saying this, I think the reason I'm saying this is where you say that's the majority, that I think it makes a difference to say it's not just the majority. It's it's our history. Well, and... And, and it's our present. But it... Well, but I, I, I like... So I did want to touch on another point that... And I think we talked about this last time, and it has to... And I'm sorry, because you keep trying to change the subject to the <laughs> next point. Um, there's... Talking about the value of speaking in generalities and speaking about specifics, and that... One thing that was brought up last time was the idea that Dear White People is designed to address that sort of whiteness. It's designed to address that sort of macro scale group of people who benefit from whiteness and white privilege and white normalcy. Um, And there is a benefit to sometimes speaking in generalities and there's a benefit to, and there's a risk to speaking in generalities. The one place that I saw this is as we're discussing um, generations and we've got all these different uh, generations and age caps and people have different exactly different <laughs> and uh, there I would suggest there is a value to speaking in generalities if we acknowledge that we're speaking in generalities if we can call that out in in the first place so that somebody doesn't take well dear millennials dear every single person who was born in this year this statement applies to you and I'm going to find you on a list and I'm going to tell you that this applies to you. like I would suggest that that is an absurdism that somebody could mean that but it still is problematic that they say it if they're not being careful with it. So where I'm going with all of this is, is I don't think there's a simple formula to say sometimes you can speak in generalities or never can anybody speak in generalities. Like, it's just not that simple. So <laughs> acknowledging, do we intend to speak in generalities? And can we start this conversation that if we're addressing a general group, there's a value to addressing the general group without expecting every single person to whom that doesn't apply to stand up and say, well, I had this That's personal experience. And I... And I'm gonna I'm gonna end this. No, what, what I did want to one thing, Gabe. Um, when we were having the original conversation, you made a suggestion that white people who are offended maybe need to do a better job explaining or or carrying the message forward or something like that. And I just it, it, it stuck with me, so I just didn't know if you if you remember that part of the conversation. I, I think where the conversation was going was um, there's certain. Like white people can speak in certain circles, and we were we were talk, having that entire conversation about white validity and normalcy. Da, this da, da. is where I was going, so go okay. ahead. Okay, um, <laughs> I was like, was that stop or go? That <laughs> was our reaction. Going. Go ahead. Um, the the conversation was talking about that, and we were talking about um, I don't know if the role of white ally came up, which is problematic language in and of itself. I would suggest um, what. Because you picture me with a cape and with my spandex I on? always picture you in spandex. <laughs> okay, this just got me in. <laughs> um, 
that I t- no, I totally lost. Um, <laughs> say what you were saying. Well, we were talking about uh, the the role of white people reaching out to other white people. Well, and, and, and how to how to be heard in probably. I think we'd also talked about how the, the Netflix series had kind of taken the sting out of the word, um, but also that that like I could you, play a role instead, that instead of being butthurt about it. Um, you know, you um, engage the other white communities that you, that as much as you can for people who are saying problematic things. Yeah. yeah. Well, which is what I was going to where I was going to go. Um, I think that you guys made a comment about you being the person that has to kind of pierce the veil um, and then having those conversations with those other white people who, you know, might be less, for lack of a better term, woke, you know, to kind of you know get them to understand what privilege is. I don't think that it I don't I think it doesn't matter how I, you know, as a as a black man dresses that language and how I say it and, you know, the verbiage that I use the very fact that I am a black man having the conversation is going to make someone uncomfortable. And so I think that it doesn't matter whether I say, you know, dear white people or miss your Caucasian or anything. Yo, crackers. (laughs) Or any, you know, or any language. It doesn't matter what the language is. (laughs) What doesn't matter what the language is. Um, Salutations. Uh, fair, yeah. uh, non uh, melanin deficient. My fairest white folk. <laughs> it doesn't matter how I how I address it or what it is that I say. It is going to make someone uncomfortable, and they're going to shut off. So that is why you know. And there is a there is a sub- subsection of minorities who are like, we don't need y'all. You know what I mean? Like we don't. And I and, and I think that there is a that is a valid reason thing, you know, especially because it, there, there tends to be this idea of, you know, the unbearable whiteness of being, um, you know, that this, there is, you know, you, regardless of how much of an, you know, an ally or, you know, how woke you are, there's this idea that I, there's still a level of eggshells that have to be walked on, you know, because I don't want to upset your delicate white sensibilities. Um, not that they're, you know, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that you're that delicate, but the, it doesn't mean that we aren't right. Just because like I have, you know, so it doesn't excuse us from, yeah. right. And, you know, and then, and, and because again, things make us look inward and, you know, uncomfortability is a visceral reaction and, you know, not saying that that's, that it's okay. I'm not saying that it's not okay. It just is what it is. And so you know, the message that I say a message and you can say the exact same message, but it's going to be taken completely different. Yeah. You know, whereas I say something and they might be like, why do you always break it about race? You know, whereas you could say the same thing oh. and they're like, you know, I didn't think about it that way. I'm, and then I'm looking at you like, I said the same fucking thing. You know, that's the one. You did so well. I did so well. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, it fit there. Yeah. So. No, what, and I, no, I understand. I, I've got, um, you are not my only minority friend who every almost everything they post right now is, is about equality or, or something like that. I, I've got I've got several people who were just constantly, you know, bombarding, uh, you know, it's just a, a steady stream of, of stuff. And for me, it's thought provoking. And for me, I, I tend to take some cues about what it is important to be talking about in terms of this discussion right now from that. Um mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, so, so I do, I do try to, 
you know, like carry the message forward a little bit. But it, it is it is astonishing to me, um, you know, because one of the one this one guy in particular who I'm thinking of, um, you know, it's pretty steady. It's four, five, six posts a day, and and he's got a lot of white friends, and I mean, the number of comments are just like, you know. Like, I wish you just stop talking about this. And, you know, just, and look, I understand fatigue sets in at a certain level. And and what I've always tried to tell my friends who, you know, family, stuff like that, who are like, oh, I'm just tired of hearing about it. And I'm, I'm like, and I've told them before, I'm like, I'm like, well, imagine if you had to live that every yeah. day. How tired yeah. would you be then? Exactly. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I like, just want to sleep. Especially <laughs> when we talk about the, the you know, the, the, sh- the shooting of, of, you know, unarmed minorities, particularly young black men. Um, you know, and they're like, well, I'm just tired of hearing about it. I'm like, I'm like, well, then maybe we should step up and do something to stop it. So then, so then that way you don't so, have to hear about so it then, then they don't have to complain. Because believe me, there are, I would love to go back to the days when I didn't talk about this. Well, you know? and they, you know, and they, and they, they say, well, somebody's all, it, it's always going to happen. There's nothing we can do. And I'm like, well, no, I, I have a few ideas of things we could do, but, um, you know, and so that does open up the channel for conversation, but, but I understand, you know, it. What I would say is that, you know, like we, you've talked about how saying the same thing, people don't listen, whatever. I think it's important to keep having the conversation, though. Um, and, and you know, and, and look, I know there are some people who may be like, well, I don't want you to help. You know, you don't need to speak for me, Todd. Like, you know, um, and that's not at all what I'm... But I don't think you're speaking, and I don't mean to take... But I don't think you're speaking for, for... If you're having those conversations, you're not speaking for us. You know, you're speaking for you, I'm, and you're speaking for your, you know, your kids. No, I'm, I, I'm speaking up for everyone because right. I think that we all benefit when we all embrace one another. I just, I'm not to get too cheesy, but you know, like, I, I, I grew up in the church. Okay, so, um, I, I, yeah, pray. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, we could. You know, name me a name day. me a hymnal. You we know, ask, ask me we're a verse, ask me a parable. Like I got this. it, I got you covered. I would ace an ACT on the Bible. But my problem has always been when we talk about things like that. That like, I, and this is a whole other discussion for a whole other day. But religious people miss the message constantly. Like the whole message of the Bible can be boiled down to a, a couple of verses in the New Testament where Jesus says when he's asked. What is the most important of these commandments? He says, you know, the greatest of these is love. Love thy neighbor as yourself and stuff like that. And like, I think if the whole damn world would just embrace that thought, like, um, you know, just... just North Korea would come and shoot us off. Would, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not saying like we're going to go destroy our nuclear stockpile, you know, but I'm, if, if the whole world, like if, if we stopped caring about political divisions, if we stopped caring about... Um, you know, political borders, you know, and we just saw each other as people, then I think that would go a long way. And that's, I don't know how to get there, um, you know, but I think that's why, that's why I think it's also important. Like the hearts and minds thing we've talked about, you're never going to be, I don't think there's ever going to be one vast movement that just sweeps over like a wave that crashes on the beach. And all of a sudden there's like this watershed moment where everything's, (laughs) yeah, where everything's better, you know, I, I think, I think the key is to, you've got to target your messaging to, to cast as wide a net as possible to get as many of them as you can. And you can cast other nets too. But what I'm saying is just like, let's make sure we're casting these other nets that I think would be more effective to this group of people that, that 
un- unfortunately, I have to understand because they're my family. Right. And I think <laughs> on that note, we're gonna we're gonna end this episode. Um, because I wanted to get to another topic, but it looks like that's gonna have to. It's really up. hard to end this conversation. <laughs> it really is. It's really hard to end this conversation. But we we went on for another like hour or two. Yeah, we, we yeah, the it, actual so. conversation was like, I was like, I'm tired. <laughs> but um, I was stifling so many yawns. <laughs> it's almost Wednesday. Yeah. But um, Gabe, thank you. Oh, um, thank you. Thank awesome, you. awesome, awesome. Uh, Todd, once again, your insight is something else. <laughs> um, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, takeaways from this episode is... Uh, for me personally, um, is like I, I, I kind of have a, a better understanding of why that the phrase "dear white people." I still don't necessarily agree, you know, but I, I understand the argument why it could be, you know, why it can be seen as negative or or offensive or or and cause that reaction. Um, also, you know, white malarkey, <laughs> um, white trickery, white trickery. <laughs> And, you know, those are those are going to be new terms in my life, and it's going to be what kind of white trickery is this? You know, what in the Caucasia is going on here? Um, those are things that are going to happen. So you just just be ready for them. They're so coming. I feel it. like we're going to have another podcast about that. <laughs> about when, <laughs> the Caucasity. <laughs> um, but you know that that's for me. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Quickly, um, you're just a deflection, and and. The more we talked about it in this, you know, the more, um, you know, because I, I mean, I thought a lot about some of the things like what can I do to soften the message for white people whose visceral reaction like mine was was anger or shame and but that they never quite move past that, you know. Um, so I thought a lot about that over over the last week or two, but but also the deflection issue and and. I'm so tired of having arguments with people that like Colin Kaepernick isn't kneeling. It has nothing to do with the military people, but finding ways to, to get my family and friends to stay on message and, you know, like I just, I think that's something moving forward that I can, that I can, I just need to work on, on a solution for that, at least with the people in my circle um, and how, you know, how best to, um, call out and or, um, you know, like ref- deflect their deflection. So, um, I think I, like, I don't want to fall into the assumption that I'm just going to go to everybody's house and be like, we're going to have a conversation about your feelings <laughs> and this is what deflection looks like and it's okay and people do it and here's how we can check. Like, I want to do that, but like, that's, that's more of where I'm at is checking myself and knowing that that's one tool in a tool belt and really just, um, thinking in terms of scale and thinking in terms of expectations that I, you know, if it was that simple, I would go talk to everybody about all their feelings and that I would love it. And that would be great. Um, but really what it sounds like these are conversations about our conversations about scale and how can we best identify what our intended scale is? Are we addressing a large group of people who benefit from an ism um are we addressing an institution are we trying to reach out and create change at an institutional level um or are we really just trying to have conversations with individuals around us or are we trying to have conversations with individuals that are like not around us and are outside of our circles so that's the the recurring theme that i continue to see with this conversation and the conversations we've been having recently um that i think is very valuable
Awesome. Well, on that note, um, we are going to go ahead and leave. We might be back for a special quick episode. We'll see. Uh, but on that but this has been Casey Caffeine. Um, you guys stay woke, folk. Good night.